All-Star Weekend, joined as ever by The Athletic's NBA insider Joe Varden and NBA analyst Seth Partnow as well. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us again. There's only one place to start really though on this particular podcast and of course it is the trade, NBA trade. And I want to get a feel for how it was from your perspective in just a moment, but we've got to talk first of all about James Harden to the 76ers, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond to the Nets. Uh, Who's got the better side of this trade here? Because from an outsider's perspective, I can't particularly tell, but I know what the numbers say and I want to see what you guys' answers compare with our numbers. So we'll start with you, Joe, because you are the insider. Um, first of all, talk us about how it came about as well. Was it was it always going to happen? Because it, it, it sort of was a bit of an 11th hour thing, wasn't it? If you go back to the first time that the three of us talked, which was literally opening night in the NBA, that night I asked James Harden point blank after their game against the Bucks if he was happy with Brooklyn. And the reason why I asked is because he did not sign his uh, a contract extension by the deadline. And he said unequivocally that he was and that he was going to sign uh, as a free agent with Brooklyn over the summer. And he, he fully explained why. So it wasn't always going to be like this, but the Kyrie situation simply wore on him. And it wore on him uh, from the standpoint of not having him around at all. And then when the Nets made an exception and allowed Kyrie to play in road games, uh, the way that James saw how that would impact the team while Kyrie was there and while he wasn't, it was too much for him. Um, I also think that Kevin Durant's injury problems over the last two seasons uh, weighed on him as well. And And I'm not even thinking this anymore. I mean, this is this is all true. This is out there in the open. Like it's, it's clear that James did not think that there was enough investment to win a title in Brooklyn. And so he wanted out. Uh, the Nets did not think that he was invested enough with their plan, um, both this year and going forward and decided to get what they could for him to try to win now. Interesting. This is, so, so that, that's how it all kind of came about. Who's yeah. got, who's, who's got the better side of the trade here, Seth, because looking at our numbers here through this little calculator on, on Pinnacle, um, it, it says the, the the 76ers went from 6.5% probability to 11.8 to win the NBA title. The Nets went from 20 to 16.7. So basically it's saying that the 76ers have got the better side of the trade. Is that something that you'd argue with? A little only in so far as sort of two aspects. One, that's sort of only looking at this year. And I think that that certainly looking beyond this year, I think this this deal has set Brooklyn up pretty well to contend for the life of Kevin Durant's contract. Um, I will say that even looking at just this year, I think that in that 20% the Nets had before, there was probably more contribution from James Harden baked in than we were actually likely to see. So it's almost, you know, like um, 
you know, the, the, the expression over there. And, and, you know, when a player comes back from long, long-term injuries, like he's like a whole new signing. Well, like just getting a player in that slot for both Philly and Brooklyn, who's going to play is like that whole new signing. So I think that it's a, it's a, almost rare for a trade of this magnitude that I think for this season, it helped both teams chances. Okay. Okay. Is that the way that you see it, Joe, as well then in, in terms of it giving them both a boost? Because that's the whole point of a trade, right? That's when, why, why you bring players in to boost your team. So it seems silly if you were sort of weakening your side with a trade. You know, front, middle, you know, front, front office isn't stupid enough, is it? No, no. I, I think I do think that this is a team or a trade that helps both uh, both teams. I mean, if you look at Philadelphia, um, they they got a player in a spot where they didn't have one. You know, Ben Simmons was not playing for that and was not going to play. Uh, and then if you look at if if you look at what Brooklyn adds, um, you know, you could say you could make the case that Kyrie's game and James's game on offense is a little redundant. And Ben Simmons is a decidedly different player than James Harden, both with the ball in his hands. And then I think more importantly on the other, at the other end of the floor, I mean, he's going to defend in a way that James wouldn't. The other thing I would say though, is, is the, the Nets are in some trouble with, uh, with Joe Harris and his ankle, he's missed months and they don't know when he's coming back and, and rehab hasn't gone well. And they're looking at another procedure. Maybe we don't know. So bringing Seth Curry in as somebody who can shoot out there uh, with with some of the the floor spacers, you know, guys that, that have the ball in their hands like KD and, and Simmons and maybe Kyrie, that really helps them uh, in the event that, that Joe Harris can't play. So, yeah, I like it both sides. Okay, this is good. Right, we talked about that trade for five minutes there. Any of the trades that caught your eye or, or your attention, um, gents, or ones that we're going to be talking about next season as being a masterstroke? I know that's difficult to preempt that. But Seth, what, what, what caught your attention in terms of teams improving themselves with, with the trades? Um, I think the Celtics acquiring Derek White. Um, they've been, they've thought they're the hottest team in the NBA right now. They beat the pants off of the 76ers last night. Now the Sixers didn't have James Harden yet, but still um, the Celtics now have, have really, uh, they're closing a lineup. They can pick five from six really high level defensive players um, in, in, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, um, Robert Williams, uh, White, and Al Horford. Um, and that gives them a lot of versatility to play many different defensive styles. I think that their playoff defense is, uh, in prospect, is going to look like Miami's, what we thought Miami's would look like, but without the sort of Miami always having to have sort of a Duncan Robinson or a Tyler Hero or Max Struess on the floor for, for spacing. Um, so they, I think they are, they have significantly uh, become more dangerous as a postseason, as a postseason team this year uh, by virtue of that trade. Yeah. And Joe, would you agree with those sentiments? And was there any others that you went, oh, hello, that, that's, that's a good one. A sneaky trade. <laughs> well, the, the Celtics, it's funny. Um, I wrote a story at the trade deadline right after it, right after it passed. And, and most of it was about the trade we just talked about and, and sort of uh, the, the underlying tension between James and Kyrie. But, but in it, I said, you know, I, the, the Celtics, yeah, they wanted to get under the tax and, and um, you know, they, they brought in two, two role players they wanted, but you can't argue that they really did anything to become a contender for this year. And um, I, I think that was probably wrong. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, they're already defending at a, 
really high level over probably the past three, three and a half weeks, which led into, I think they've won nine or 10 in a row as this recording. And, and then, so Derek White adds to that. I am concerned though, Seth, um, I, I am still concerned because, you know, Marcus Smart, who I love, but he could go one for 10. He can do that in a postseason game that counts. And, and Derek White can too. And so, you know, I, I am nervous about having basically both guys at that position be somebody who can really struggle to shoot. Um, but, you know, Tatum and Brown have proven to be so dynamic that, you know, maybe in a half court series, you know, now that now they can be a top four team and kind of get into that second round and, and, and we'll see. Um, the other trade I like, and there were a bunch of them, of course. Um, I mean, we were surprised by by Porzingis going to Washington. And I think that could be a trade we talk about for a while, maybe next year. But the Karis Levert trade, um, the Cavs, they went and got a guy for almost nothing. Uh, Marco Rubio, or uh, Marco Rubio, Ricky Rubio's expiring contract. Um, and, and, and the Cavs are, as of this recording, a top four team. They needed a guy to take pressure off of Darius Garland in a half-court uh, playoff series. He's a scorer. Um, and they want to try to sign him to a long-term extension this summer. So just by the very definition, we will probably be talking about this trade next year. <laughs> this is good. This is good looking into it's, the crystal ball, Seth. It's, you know, it's interesting. Like, um, I, I think that if 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 probably... Joe, in my opinion, of Derek White and Karis LeVert are probably inverted. Um, Karis LeVert's a player that I've been intrigued by his potential for a long time, but he's someone who, and you've seen it in his first three games in Cleveland, he scores 22 on pretty efficient shooting his, his first night, and then I think went something like nine for 28 um, in the, 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 the next two games, both of which Cleveland losses. And that's a little bit been the story of his career, where he can be a dynamic kind of penetrator and playmaker, but the level of consistency has never been there. He's never been an efficient scorer and never been a particularly good defender either. So um, while you see the, the appeal to him of, of the Cavs, I like he's going to have to be a better player than he's consistently been over the course of his career for that to work out for him. And on the flip side, Derek white is sort of unspectacular, but just he's one of those players who is almost a, um, almost the, the, the gold plated version of like what Alex Caruso gives the bulls in terms of that, that kind of defender while also having uh, more ability with the ball in his hands and as a score. Um, and so like, like he's not flashy, but he just makes the Celtics again, just that that's, that's just a, a tough lineup. And I agree with Joe, they might struggle to score, but in, in, if they turn playoff games into rock fights, you, you think Brown and Tatum are not two bad guys to have to win that kind of game. Yeah. And part of my opinion of Derek white, and then I'm honest and upfront about this was I felt fairly strongly that he should not have been on Team USA in 2019, the team that went to China. And, you know, they really struggled with their players in the backcourt and they, they struggled to score. They didn't have a guy. And he just seemed like he wasn't the right fit. Um, but you fast forward now to 2022 and Jason Tatum was on that team and Jalen Brown was on that team and Marcus Smart was on that team. And now Derek White is back with them. And, you know, the, the Team USA guys always say that 
the reason why it went so poorly is because Tatum got hurt. So it'll be interesting to watch them like Tatum stays healthy and he dominates in, in April and May. And they, you know, maybe like they get to the finals and it's with that group that, that couldn't win a game over there in, in China. This is, this is great. Okay. Good insight. Good honesty as well, by the way. Good honesty. Um, we, we could talk about the trades for the rest of this podcast. We're not going to. We're, just, we're actually recording this in the build-up and the run-up to an event that I actually think is the envy of most of the sports around the globe. Of course, I'm talking about the All-Star Weekend because... It's incredible, right? What a concept it is. I love it. I know that a lot of purists in the NBA will probably think it's a little bit gimmicky and sometimes not needed. Personally, I love it. Looking from the outside in, I'm not sure what you t- two guys think of it, but I just want to get a feel really of you two of how significant it is in terms of the NBA as a whole and also on each season. Because I remember last year there was obviously COVID around and there was a few issues about, oh, well, are people really going to be traveling all that way just to play one game and coming together and breaking out of bubbles? And there was loads of issues I seem to remember. But actually the the game and the weekend itself went brilliantly and with with a few incidents, of course, as, as, there, as there always is and a few talking points. But just just in terms of this season and overall what are your what are your thoughts on it seth well i think that the nba did a very smart thing um i forget how many it was around five years ago i want to say when they decided to move the trade deadline before the all-star break um which means that the all-star break is an honest to goodness break and i can i can say that from both uh, obviously from the media side but especially from sort of the team side of things just having that kind of you know, basically a full week to, is so important. I mean, like, like frankly, the, 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 the um, uh, it's not been uncommon for like scouts and execs to like schedule their wedding for all-star weekend, because that's when people, they, they, people they know might be able to come. Um, it's either that or like a, you know, a two week period in, in, in the off season. So just from a standpoint of sort of recharging and, and then dialing in for the second half of the season, it, the, the, just that, that it being not just, you know, four or five days, but it being a full week and with really no business of the league to do um, is, has been a, a really a great change just in, in terms of the, the behind the scenes operation of the league. And, and Joe, is that the kind of impression that you get? It's just a nice reset, a breather. I love All-Star Weekend, and I know that my colleagues don't necessarily agree. Um, you know, I, I had a joke that has been killing all, all season, which is that the All-Star Games in Cleveland this year, and that's where I live. And so um, I'm down because my expense account won't be nearly as high uh, as it usually is in All-Star Weekend. But now we have new bosses at The Athletic, and so I don't know if it, once they start watching the spending, if they'll think that's as funny. Um but no, but, but I, I love all-star weekend. Um, I think it's a one, I think it really is a good celebration of our game. I think there have been a number of changes that have made it. So, and Seth mentioned the first one, I remember being in the press room on deadline in new Orleans, they hosted the all-star game there. Anthony Davis scored like 50 some points or something like that. And, uh, that was not the story at all because, because, uh, I think DeMarcus cousins was traded that day. If I'm, if I, if memory serves and it ruined, it ruined everything. During the third quarter of the game, I, I, I seem to remember no. basically when the news broke. No That's way. right. And yeah, so, so they had to figure that out. Um, 
getting rid of East versus West and having uh, the, the the leading vote getters pick the teams, I think was wise. And then they made it better over the years by realizing that they need to put the draft on TV, um, which was obviously fantastic <laughs> television footage this season. Um, and then the final change they made that really works is, uh, is, is not only putting uh, some money on the line for charities and for the players themselves, but making it a, um, uh, Elam style scoring in the fourth quarter, which turns the game more competitive. Uh, the first time they did that was two seasons ago in Chicago. Uh, and it was tremendous. It was just, it was, it was, uh, as good of an all-star game as we had seen in years. Nobody really talks about last year because of COVID and people didn't want to be there as much because of the pandemic and needing a break. But I, I bet we're talking about another really good game at the end of this one in Cleveland because of that. Yeah, and uh, just to let the listeners know, there there are odds available and all the betting and stuff is available on Pinnacle.com. They'll be available on Saturday, I think, once we get a bit of a better idea of what the teams are going to look like. Um, Team Durant against Team LeBron, um, of course. So what what can we expect from the game itself? You know, who's going to be stealing the show and and, and that kind of stuff? Uh, Joe, you know, you you love it. You're going to be there, you know, saving the athletic um, a few, few dollars, which is nice. So um, just talk to me about about what, what you're expecting from the game. What are you going to be looking out for in your sort of capacity as a journalist, basically? Well, a couple of things. I mean, this is LeBron's, I think, 18th All-Star game, and but it's the first one in Cleveland, which is where he's from. And if you go downtown and you look at the building now, he is on the building again um, in a beautiful banner which just sort of feels right right now. And it's, and it's better by the way that the Cavs are good. Um, so there, there won't be the resentment that you might've seen um, for him leaving again. So it's kind of a nice homecoming for him. The last couple of all-star games, he's really kind of taken them off. Um, hasn't played as hard uh, and let his, the guys he drafted take over. I, I would be, I kind of look for him to play a little bit this year. Okay. Um, Darius Garland is another one to think about. Um, overall, you, you know, I, I thought LeBron's team was better than Kevin's. And I love, you know, when you talk about a, a front line of LeBron, Jokic, Giannis, uh, Steph, and it doesn't even matter who the other starters, I think it was DeRozan, but, but my goodness, uh, what a group. And, um, but after that, LeBron drafted all point guards. He has like seven point guards on his team and maybe, maybe six now because Harden's out. Um, but so I do wonder if the size thing will catch up to them, but Durant for the second year in a row, picking a team and then not being able to play that's just, it's killer yeah. on, on his team. He's, he's, he's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Seth, what are you looking to gain from the, the this weekend? What, what's it going to throw up first of all? Um, so I, like, I, I think Joe kind of hinted at it is sort of uh, veteran players who've been there a bunch the degree to which they're really going for it can, can change. Um, certainly um, like Giannis and Nakumbo is, has someone who's really like gone. I don't want to say all out, but gone more out than, than a lot of players in the game in, 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 in a lot of years. And I, I wonder if, if now with the championship under his belt and, and sort of wanting to manage himself more through the season, whether that continues. And so that means that the guys that I'm kind of looking for are the, the younger players, the, the first or second timers, um, the player who I think is really going to be interested in uh, making a splash is John Morant. 
Right. Um, the all-star, like an all-star game is a, um, a good showcase for a player of his talents as well. So um, I, I like I, I'm very interested to see what what he does in the game. Interesting. Well, if you do want to follow that, you can do on all the usual channels on Pinnacle.com. Now, just just want to talk about the season itself as well. Standout players and, and teams from the first part of of the season. Um, I mean, what about what about the Warriors? Because <laughs> the Warriors have been a, a strange entity this season. I want to start with them, really. Um, you know, they've been... Well, you tell me what they've been. I'll use you guys. You're, you're the experts. Um, Seth, analyse the Warriors for me, if you can, because I don't really know where to start with them. Um, I mean, start with the fact that they've been truly excellent defensively. I believe they are, they are leading the league in defensive rating now. Like, Draymond Green has been... Uh, one on the floor has been back at a defensive player of the year level. I think Clay Thompson's return and he's, I think looked better physically than I expected. Um, I think that that is a big potential swing for them, not only because it adds him, but it puts sort of all of like the rest of the players on their roster into more kind of appropriate offensive roles. Um, I think it's probably going to help Jonathan Kaminga be a, be a, a, a actually useful playoff player. And that's a, you know, getting, uh, another big athletic wing type um, is, is you never have too many of those in the playoffs. So they are a little bit of a wild card to me because I mean, obviously uh, green has been out for a, a long while now with a back injury, but if he comes back and is healthy, they are, they have to be on the short list of the, of the most likely title teams. Mm. But w- Wiggins will play. won't see in, in that. <laughs> it's just a little yeah, no, it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it, it, I mean, it, the, the, um, every year there's, there's sort of one kind of weirdness of the voting. And I think like Andrew Wiggins getting voters, he's had a nice year, but him being voted a starter was, was a little bit, you know, head scratching from a, from a, uh, you know, from a meritorious perspective, but you know, we'll look past that. Okay. All right. Nice. Uh, Joe, um, standout teams and, and, and the Warriors, I suppose, but are the standout teams? Yeah. I mean, the standoutest, the standoutest team is the Suns. I mm. mean, 47 and 10, uh, extremely deep defend enough. Um, not, you know, not as, not as well as the Warriors, not as well as the Cavs, not as well as the Celtics, but they do it. Uh, they move the ball. They hop it all over the place. Uh, they have a number of different guys who can score and, and Devin Booker is a prime time got to have a bucket type of guy. Um, we'll see. We'll see. It was almost enough last last summer. So, you know, we'll see if they can match up with a fully healthy warrior team. Uh, didn't go well for Phoenix on Christmas Day against them. Um, you know, I, in the East, I don't know what we say. Because the the two teams, I, I feel like that trade that we talked about at the top was so significant that it could return the Nets to a favorite um, and have, after having a disastrous month. And the Sixers, who are already on the come, uh, could, could be up there as well. But we don't know until we see it. Yeah. So we do know about the Heat. Um, we do know about the Bucks, and they they added Serge Ibaka, which which will help them, I think, tremendously. Um, and 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 I think you know, I mean, we'll see we'll see about the Chicago Bulls. So you know, it's a, it's going to be a very interesting end to the season, but I think even more so once we get into the playoffs with all these all these teams in the East really bunched up, like who is for real and who just had a nice regular season. 
Um, and I think we're all pretty confident it's going to be one of two teams waiting for them on the West side. Yeah. I mean, just on the East, you know, you've got Kyle Lowry, right, in tow. The, the Heat are probably now a more annoying opponent to go against. You know, the Bulls, like you just mentioned, they're, they're, th- they're thriving as well, aren't they? And then after that, those five teams, you've got the Cavaliers, who you alluded to. You know, they're actually doing okay at the moment. The Raptors and the Celtics, are they worthy of a bit, a bit more respect, Seth? So I think we already talked about the Celtics. Mm. Um, I, you know, uh, are they contenders according to, you know, uh, if you look at 538 rating system, which I mean, I, we don't have time to go into what I think might be fooling that system now, but it does, it thinks extremely highly of their, of their title chances. And, you know, it, it, I not sure what to make of them. Um, the Raptors, I think are, are, going to still be this season more at the annoying level than the genuine threat to kind of be a conference finals team. Um, I want to, I want to push back on something that we did that, that I think Joe said about the West. Um, first of all, Memphis is pretty good too. And I think the nuggets, if people, if they get Jamal Murray back, especially are kind of a sneaky threat as well. So I think mm-hmm. this is shaping up to be, um, about the 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 most unpredictable postseason that we've had in recent memory, um, and I'm ex- just extremely excited to see to see what how we get there, and then the, then what the matchups throw up, and and kind of just sit back and watch without having like strong predictions in my mind. <laughs> That's interesting. The, the, that that um, because I love the Grizzlies. Uh, you know, Desmond Bain is one of my, I think he's one of my favorite players. Uh, in the league. And I just, I love the, their trajectory, but for as fun as they've been, I mean, they're seven or eight in behind Phoenix. And so, so you, you think though that like in a, in a seven game series that they have enough to make that interesting. I think they do. I mean, the thing you, you, you do like, I think Phoenix's record probably overstates how good they are. Just they've been so good in clutch games and you know, that, 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 you know, if they could have basically played the same level this season and have three or four fewer wins and, and it, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't really change how they've performed overall. So I think that that, that seven or eight games probably overstates the gap between them. Um, but, um, you know, the sun, the, 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 the Grizzlies will go into any series with, with, you know, a chance to have the best player on the floor. Like, John Morant is that good. And I think we've seen throughout NBA history that like best player on the floor is a pretty big factor in who wins a playoff series. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that he's guaranteed to be, but you know, you wouldn't have said this last year that they had that chance to have the best player on the floor in the playoff series. Um, and they, you know, they will go into a series in a series with no real weaknesses. Now they probably don't have other top end players alongside Morant that some of the other challengers do, but they, they just don't have any holes. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested to see what they do in their kind of second postseason run with this, with this group. Before we go, gentlemen, I must press you on a projected MVP at this stage. And uh, he's raised a bit of a smile from both of our guests, by the way. Let me tell you, listeners. So, uh, Joe, I'll go with you first of all. Put you on the spot first. I'm trying to pad this question out just five or seconds, uh, five or ten seconds, a little longer, just so it gives you a chance to get a bit of a breather. But you look quite calm. So, Joe, go for it. Uh, Jokic one and B two, Giannis three. Nice. That's assertive. That is assertive. Seth, 
you, you look like you need a bit more pondering time. <laughs> so what I'll do is, I'll tell you so, what, go on, I was going to say, whilst you have a think, I'll ask Joe to justify his picks uh, in, in, I don't know, 30 seconds and give you an extra 30 seconds. Joe, go on, go for it. Well, well, Seth is definitely the numbers guy mm. and is, is I'm, I'm certain, I'm sure he's crunching them as we speak. Um, <laughs> but I just think, you know, like, I mean, he mentioned they don't have Jamal Murray and they're a top six team uh, and, and he's dominant. He's just, he's dominant in every, in every way that he plays. So that's one. Uh, Joel Embiid, I think is having his best year as a pro and the Sixers have just been tremendous every second that he's on the floor. When they, he was out of COVID, they stunk uh, and, and fell, I think, as far as eighth. Um, so he's just been awesome. And then Giannis, just, he's, he's one of the greatest regular season players we've ever seen. The other night, I think he had 50 on 21 shots. He seems to do that a lot. Um, so those are the top three. Steph was, I think, at the quarter pole, I think he was the number one. And then he's kind of, he's suffered a prolonged shooting slump. Um, so I think he's losing, losing traction there. But yeah, I, I think as long as Joker keeps this up, I think it's I think it's his to lose. So I think if 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 I had a vote, and I don't. Um, thankfully, I wouldn't. Uh, I've never really wanted one. Um, if I if I had a vote at like right now, Embiid would be the MVP. I you do wonder that with the the addition of Harden, whether his sort of individual play um, kind of drops just that little bit. And then you're left with Jokic and Giannis and a player that, that Joe didn't mention is Chris Paul. Um, you know, he mentioned talking about the numbers and people have, have noted kind of the historic seasons that Embiid and Jokic has, have been having. And I've, I've sort of taken the counterpoint. Okay. Chris Paul's own numbers are good. And then if we add in the, what, what he's been able to, allow players like Jalen Smith and Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee to do, you kind of add their stats to his, he's right there. I mean, I, I think that's just, uh, you know, a player who, who, you know, uh, literally a guy signed off the street shows up and turns into a double, double guy because Chris Paul is, is that good at, at, you know, putting his teammates in, in, in spots to succeed. And, you know, we, we, I mentioned earlier, the Suns um, clutch uh, crunch, uh, you know, clutch winning percentage. And Chris Paul is again, is a huge, I mean, it's, it's Booker, but also Chris Paul, just, you know, his ability to, we can all see it in our mind's eye. He starts at the top of the key, couple dribbles, gets to the right elbow, fades to his right and drops in a soft jumper. And just like, how did, and just, you're, well, he did it again. Um, so I think from from um, from that standpoint, I think that he deserves at least a mention, even if I think that one of the two big guys is more likely to actually win the award. This has been really good insight. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We will catch up before the NBA playoffs, which are, well, I mean, they'll be edging closer and closer. Um, enjoy the All-Star game, Jay. Um, Seth, enjoy your potential week off. And uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast as ever. Just remember that the odds um, are correct at the time of recording. Pinnacle.com has all of everything. And of course, the NBA All-Star game preview as well. Like I said, that's on the betting resources page. And remember to follow these two, Seth Partnow, on Twitter and also at Joe Varden on Twitter as well. That's all we've got time for at the moment. But thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next time. 